Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all of the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Beelzebub, the power of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. We serve an awesome God. How great thou art. As we sang just a few moments ago, appreciate Benny reminding us how great our God is, what a privilege it is to spend time in worship to Him today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew, the 12th chapter. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to get it out and turn with me to Matthew, chapter 12. Together, we're going to be studying this morning in verses 22 through 32. Matthew, chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. in step with the series of lessons that we've been looking at concerning the Holy Spirit and how He is active and involved in our lives, I want us to consider this morning a very important question which concerns the Spirit. This is actually a question that several of you have asked me as we have went through this series of sermons, this series of lessons together. What about what many people call the unforgivable sin? What about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32? What does that mean? Is that a sin that we can commit today? Is that something that we can be guilty of? Notice again the last couple verses of our scripture reading. This is 31 and 32 of Matthew 12. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. What do you think about that? How do those words make you feel? There are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of individuals who struggle with those words in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. Just to give you one example, Jacob and I were talking with a lady about a month ago, studying the Bible with her, and she told us that there was no point in her becoming a Christian, 
There was no point in her deciding to follow Jesus and allowing that to be what she's all about because she believed that she had committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. She told us, there's no way God's going to forgive me. You know what the Scripture says. That there's not going to be forgiveness either in this age or in the age to come. I'm afraid that she's not the only person who has ever thought that. When people read through this passage in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32, there are a lot of different questions that come up. Is this a sin that I've committed? Is this a wrong that I've done? Have I put myself in a position where I can't be forgiven by God? Have I put myself in a position, have I committed a sin that makes me hopeless? A sin that's not going to be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. Those are really important questions. Those are really significant questions. So what I want us to do this morning is to study this passage of Scripture in Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32, as we conclude our series of sermons on the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? When we think about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, what does it mean in its original context? And what does it mean for us today? We're going to go back to Matthew 12 and verse 22. We're going to look at the entire context that leads up to verses 31 and 32, which we read just a moment ago. This passage begins in verses 22 through 24 with a problem from the Pharisees. In fact, this entire section of Scripture, this entire passage of Scripture is centered on a problem that comes from the Pharisees' mouths. If you back up to Matthew 12 and verse 22, we read about a man who was not only possessed by a demon, he was oppressed by a demon. And the Bible tells us how he was oppressed. The Bible says that he was blind, he wasn't able to see, he was mute, he was not able to speak. But apparently either he himself or somebody close to him had heard about Jesus, he was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Jesus casted out the demon. The demon was no longer oppressing him. He was once blind, but now he sees. He was once mute, but now he's able to speak. Jesus didn't perform that miracle in isolation. Jesus didn't perform that miracle in private. There was a crowd. There was a multitude of people who saw this miracle take place. Within that crowd, you have a couple of different responses. And those responses are very different from one another. First, you have a positive response in verse 23. That all the people were amazed and they asked the question, Can this be the Son of David? That term, Son of David, is synonymous with what we would say as the Messiah or the Christ. These people, after witnessing this miracle, are beginning to question, could this be the one who we've been waiting for? Could this be the one who we've been looking for? The one who our Scriptures tell us about? Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the descendant of, the, the descendant of David who's going to sit down on David's throne and rule over the kingdom of God? They're beginning to entertain that possibility. Notice you have the second response that's given in verse 24. It's a negative response that comes from the Pharisees. The Pharisees was a sect of Judaism at the time. Jesus condemns them and oftentimes speaks against them for being hypocritical, being outwardly and externally focused, neglecting their hearts, neglecting their minds, neglecting how they think. Notice when the Pharisees heard it. The Pharisees saw this miracle. They heard what the crowd was saying. They heard the question that the crowd was asking. And this was their response. It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. The Pharisees could not deny that the miracle took place. 
They saw it. Everybody witnessed it. It happened right in front of their eyes. They could not deny the reality of the miracle, but what they could debate about was the source of the miracle. Hey, you guys think this miracle is really amazing? You guys think that this individual who's called Jesus could be the son of David? Here's what we're here to tell you. The miracle happened. He actually casted out the demon. But what you need to know about it is that he did not cast out this demon by the power and authority of God. He casted out this demon by the power and the authority of Satan. This isn't something that they're doing on accident. They're doing this on purpose. This is willful. This is intentional. They're looking at the power behind this miracle from Jesus and crediting that power to Satan. Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That's the problem in this passage. That's the problem that sets up what happens throughout the rest of this passage of Scripture. The Pharisees make an accusation against Jesus. They want to destroy His reputation. They want to destroy His popularity among the common people. They want to push out that question in their minds that Jesus could possibly be the Son of David by saying He is empowered by Satan. So how does Jesus respond to that? Well, as we keep reading in this passage, we see Jesus' response in Matthew 12, verses 25 through 32, and he has a few things that he wants to say to the Pharisees. First, Jesus talks about the Pharisees' irrationality in chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. In other words, what the Pharisees are saying, this doesn't make sense. This is not something that's logical. In verse 25, Jesus begins with the biggest unit of society in that day and works down to the smallest unit. But it all makes the same point. Notice in 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and He said to them, He starts with a kingdom. Back in this time, everybody would have thought about the kingdom of Rome, which was almost a worldwide power in the first century. Certainly a power that ruled over the Jews. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Abraham Lincoln was not the first person to say those words, right? Abraham Lincoln actually got those words from Jesus. If a kingdom is divided against itself, then what? It's going to be destroyed. But then he gets a little bit smaller in verse 25. What about cities within the kingdom? No city divided against itself will stand. What about households within those cities? No house divided against itself will stand. Whether you're talking about a kingdom, whether you're talking about a city, whether you're talking about a household, it all makes the same point. It all points towards the same reality. If something is divided against itself, it's not going to stand. It's going to be laid waste. It's going to be destroyed. So what's the point that Jesus is making? Watch it in verse 26. If Satan cast out Satan... He's divided against Himself. How then will His kingdom stand? How much sense does it make for Satan to cast out Satan? How much sense does it make for Satan to empower Jesus, the prince of the demons, to cast out one of His demons? That doesn't make sense. It's irrational. It's illogical. It doesn't add up. And Jesus wants to point that out. That the accusation that the Pharisees are making, the idea that they're presenting before this entire crowd of people that it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that Jesus cast out demons, he says it doesn't make sense. Because if that was the case, if Satan is divided against himself, just like a kingdom, just like a city, just like a household, he will be laid waste, he will be destroyed, 
he will not be able to stand. And so first Jesus points out the Pharisees' irrationality. By the way, I think that irrationality continues in today's time, don't you? Think about spiritual conversations that we could potentially have with other people. Sometimes people will deny the evidence. They will make claims and arguments that don't even make sense so that they can continue in what they already think. So that they can continue in what they already believe. They will deny reality. They will deny the truth of God's Word. Make irrational arguments. Present nonsensical propositions. So that they can continue down the path that they're already on. We need to make sure that we're not those people. We need to have hearts and minds that are open to the truth that we find in the Scriptures. The truth that we find in the identity of Jesus. But Jesus continues. He not only talks about the Pharisees' irrationality, He also talks about their hypocrisy in verse 27. Apparently there were some among the Pharisees who claimed to be able to cast out demons. And so Jesus asked the question in 27, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Can you see the hypocrisy there? Jesus is asking them the question, okay, I casted out a demon, and you're saying that it's by the power of Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Do your sons cast out demons by the power of Satan, or do they cast out demons by the power of God? It's different standards. They had a different standard for Jesus than they had for themselves. When Jesus casted out demons, it was by the power of Satan. But when their sons, when their followers did the same exact thing, it wasn't by the power of Satan, it was by the power of God. That's a hypocritical statement, and I think that's why Jesus says that your sons are going to rise up and judge you. They are showing and demonstrating the Pharisees' hypocrisy. We need to make sure that we don't live in hypocrisy. Sometimes it's not just that we judge people. It's that we have different standards for different people. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say you have somebody who you don't like, who commits some kind of sin or they do something wrong. That person's the worst ever. They deserve punishment and punishment to the max. The, the worst punishment they can get. But what if someone who you do like, a friend, a family member, commits that same sin? What if you yourself commit that same sin? Well, then it's not that big of a deal, is it? We have different standards. Different standards for those who we don't like. Different standards for those who we do like. Different standards for ourselves. And I believe this passage of Scripture urges us not to be hypocritical, but to stand upon the standard that's found in the Scriptures. The standard that will always be unchanging. The standard that will never result in hypocrisy like we find in this passage. The standard that we find in the pages of this book. Number three, Jesus continues to address the Pharisees, but this time He shifts off of the Pharisees to talk about Himself. He talks about His true source of empowerment. Jesus casted out the demon, but that miracle wasn't empowered by Satan. Who empowered this miracle? You look at verse number 28, He says it's by the Spirit of God that He cast out demons. Jesus did not empower His own miracle. Satan certainly didn't empower casting out or exercising this demon. Jesus' human nature was empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's how He was able to work these miracles. He's not empowered by Satan. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And He looks at the Pharisees to say, if that's the case, 
If I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you don't need to reject me. You need to listen to me because the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is about to be established on earth. And if you don't listen, you're going to miss it. Jesus talks about His true source of empowerment, which is the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about throughout this entire series about the Spirit. How we are to be empowered by Him. Ephesians 3 and verse 16, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. While I don't believe that we live in the age of the miraculous like Jesus and the apostles did in the first century, I do believe that we are to be strengthened by the Spirit. We are to be empowered by the Spirit. Oftentimes we think we can get through life based on our own strength and our own power. The Bible tells us that's not the case. We're not empowered by ourselves. We're certainly not empowered by Satan. As Christians, every single day, we are to be strengthened and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. When we do that, we're following Jesus' example. We're doing exactly what He did, following in His footsteps. Number four, and as Jesus continues responding to the Pharisees, He talks about His superiority to Satan. It's not that Jesus is being empowered by Satan, but Jesus is actually more powerful than Satan. He uses a little parable in verse 29 to make that point. Now there are, there are some strong men in here this morning, men who are a lot stronger than I am. If you're going to enter into a strong man's house and take his stuff, you're going to take his goods or his possessions, depending on your translation, what do you have to do first? First, Jesus says, you have to tie up the strong man. You have to bind the strong man. And then you're going to be able to rob him, take his stuff, take his goods, take his possessions. If you don't first bind the strong man, then what's he going to do? He's going to beat you up and kick you out of his house. What's the point that Jesus is making? As we see up on the screen, I believe that Jesus is demonstrating his superiority to Satan. Satan's strong, make no mistake about it. But Jesus is stronger. In this parable, the strong man represents Satan. The strong man's house is Satan's domain. The strong man's goods or possessions are those people who have been claimed by him. Like the man who was oppressed by a demon back in verse number 22. Jesus is the individual who's stepping into the strong man's house. He's entering into Satan's domain. He's not empowered by Satan. He's binding Satan. He's tying Satan up and taking what belongs to him. Those people who have been claimed by Him. Jesus is superior to Satan. As we said, Satan is strong. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says that he's our adversary, but he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't be deceived into thinking that Satan is weak because he's not. But we also don't need to be deceived into thinking that Satan is more powerful than Jesus. Because he's not. The two are not even in the same league. Jesus has the power to step into that strong man's house and take everything that he owns. Number five, as Jesus continues his response, he rejects an attitude of neutrality. In verse 30, it's a pretty short verse, but I think pretty powerful. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. If you're not standing with me, then you're contrary to me. He uses agriculture. He uses an illustration from farming. He says, if you're not gathering the harvest with me, then you're out scattering. If you're not with me, then you are in opposition to me. Think about those who were originally standing before Jesus. They had a decision to make. 
They saw this miracle happen right in front of their eyes. And there was no way they could be neutral. Either this miracle was empowered by Satan, or this miracle was empowered by the Spirit of God. They had to make a decision. And Jesus says you can't be neutral. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you are scattering. There are so many people, there are so many Christians in today's time who want to be neutral when it comes to spiritual things. They want to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world. And oftentimes, this is the way it looks. People want to claim the blessings that come from Jesus, but they don't necessarily want the commitment. Oh, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take forgiveness and justification and reconciliation. All of that sounds great, but I'm not so sure about surrendering everything at Jesus' feet and living for Him every day. Jesus rejects neutrality. He says, if you're not for me, then you're against me. If you're not 100% bought into this, if you're not 100% in love with me, then you might as well get on the other side because Jesus says that's what it is. If you're not gathering with me, then you are scattering. As Christians, maybe sometimes we try to live lives that are neutral. We try to live with a foot in both worlds. Jesus says that's impossible. If we try to be neutral, then we're against Him. See, all of this conversation that we've been having in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 down to verse number 30, leads us to Jesus' warning of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so as we think about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, I want us to ask three main questions. We're not going to give every answer. We're not going to ask every question when it comes to this topic. We're not going to turn over every single rock when it comes to this idea. But what I do want us to do with the time that we have left is to ask three big questions about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I hope that it will be helpful for us. Question number one, what is blasphemy against the Spirit? When Jesus talks about that, what is He referring to? If you go back to Matthew 12, verses 22 through 24, that problem from the Pharisees, I believe you find the answer to that question. Jesus had a demon-oppressed man brought before Him. He casted out the demon. The Pharisees, on purpose, intentionally looked at that miracle and said, He's empowered by Satan. It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man is able to cast out demons. In that, in that accusation... I believe we have the answer to this question. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is intentionally speaking evil against the Holy Spirit by crediting His power to Satan. That's what blasphemy is. Speaking evil against. Talking bad about. The Pharisees are speaking evil against the Spirit. The Pharisees are blaspheming the Spirit. They are saying bad things about the Spirit when they credit His power to Beelzebul the prince of demons. And it's not something they're doing on accident. Some people might wonder, did I accidentally commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Is this something that I did without even knowing it, without even realizing it? In this passage, blasphemy against the Spirit is not something that's done on accident. It is something that is done intentionally. Intentionally speaking against the Spirit, speaking evil against the Spirit by crediting His power to the prince of of demons. What about this question? Is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit truly unforgivable? Jesus says in 31 and 32 that whoever commits blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
He's not going to be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. But consider the question, is that truly unforgivable? Is this a one and done situation? Is this something that I do one time and then throughout the rest of my life into eternity, I don't even have hope of forgiveness? Forgiveness is not even possible for me? Look at the Pharisees in this passage. They've spoken evil against the Spirit. They have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Are they hopeless? Is there no possibility for forgiveness even if they wanted that possibility? Even if they wanted to turn to Jesus and place their faith in Jesus? I don't think that's the case. Especially next week, we're going to continue in this passage. In Matthew 12, we're going to pick up in verse 33 and drop down to verse number 45. What Jesus does in that section is He tells the Pharisees what they need to know in order to turn away from this sin. In order to remedy the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When I look at this passage, here's the way that I think about this. As long as the mindset and attitude of intentional rejection is maintained, then forgiveness, will not, then, then forgiveness will not be possible. This is not a one and done situation. This is not something you do one time and then you can never ever be forgiven for it regardless of what happens throughout the rest of your life. However, as long as the Pharisees continue with this intentional mindset of rejection, as long as they intentionally continue down this path that they're on, they're not going to be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. They could get off of that path and be forgiven, but as long as they continue on that path, they're never going to be forgiven. It's like what you find in Hebrews 6, verses 4-6. through 6. I think this is comparable. Where the Hebrew writer talks about individuals who were genuinely converted to Jesus. They became Christians. In verse number 4, you can read about that. But then as you continue reading, he says it's impossible for those who have been genuinely converted to be restored again to repentance if they fall away. Is it truly impossible for someone who has fallen away to be restored to repentance and to come back to Jesus? I'm sure if we were to go through this room, we could talk to several individuals who could say, there was a time in my life where I fell away from Jesus. I wasn't living the life that I was supposed to live. And it's only by His grace and mercy that I've been able to come back. It's only by His grace and mercy that I've been able to be restored again to repentance. It's not impossible if you fall away to be restored to repentance. However, it is impossible if you continue to live in that lifestyle. If you continue to have the attitude, the mindset, and the lifestyle that caused you to fall away in the first place, then forgiveness is not going to be possible either in this age or in the age to come. And I believe the same thing is true here. What many people call the unforgivable sin is not truly unforgivable. It will be unforgivable though if we continue down that path of intentional rejection. Rejecting the Holy Spirit of God and in that way speaking evil of Him. And this is the big question, isn't it? Can blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be committed today? We just talked about neutrality a few minutes ago, so I certainly don't want to be talking out of both sides of my mouth. But I think we have to answer this question by saying both yes and no. Can blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be committed today? Is this a sin that we can commit? I believe the answer to that question, if we answer it honestly, is both yes and no. It's no because the circumstances in which the blasphemy against the Spirit originally occurred are no longer present or possible. 
We can't commit this sin in the same way that the Pharisees committed it. Why? Because Jesus is no longer on earth. Jesus is not walking on this earth performing miracles and casting out demons from people. Therefore, we don't have the opportunity to do what the Pharisees did. We cannot today look at a miracle of Jesus and credit that power from the Holy Spirit to Satan because Jesus isn't on earth today. The circumstances in which this sin originally occurred are no longer present or possible. Does that mean we're off the hook? Now, I think we also have to answer this question. Can blasphemy against the Holy Spirit be committed today by saying yes? Because we can, just like the Pharisees, choose to intentionally reject the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's witness. The Holy Spirit's inspiration. The Holy Spirit's conviction. His strength. All of those things that we've talked about in this study, we can intentionally choose to reject those things. What happens if we do that? What happens if we choose to intentionally reject the Spirit? Go back through this passage. What if we put ourselves in the Pharisees' sandals? What if we make these irrational arguments? Arguments that don't even make sense so that we can continue in what we already believe? What if we continue down a path of hypocrisy where we have different standards for different people? What if we deny Jesus' source of empowerment, which is the Spirit? What if we deny Jesus' greatness in our lives? What if we deny His superiority? What if we attempt to live our Christian lives in neutrality? One foot on one side of the fence and one foot on the other side of the fence. What if we choose to intentionally reject the Holy Spirit? The result's going to be the same that we read about in this passage in Matthew chapter 12. Forgiveness will not be possible either in this age or in the age to come. Here's the beauty though. We can always make a different choice. We can always decide to live a different life. And, and that's what we're going to look at, Lord willing, when we come together next week. In Matthew 12, verses 33 through 45, we're going to look at a lesson called the remedy to the unforgivable sin. I'm looking forward to that study. But you don't have to wait to make that change until next week. Make a different choice. Make a different decision. Don't reject the Spirit. Accept the Spirit and everything that He offers. It's only in that state that we can experience the sweet forgiveness that only God can give. If we can help you to do that this morning, we'd love to. As together we stand and sing.